Hello. Hey. So, movie night. Yeah, have you learned how to stop worrying? No. (laughs) I had to watch something else after to, like, come down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's hop right into it. It's not going to go down any more Wikipedia rabbit holes here. There's nothing that gets you further up the list, I feel like, than researching communist movements and stuff. Oh, yeah. And nuclear weapons at the same time. We were just looking at missiles, so, like, yeah, that's... That's not going to do a lot for our rep. Yeah. Dave and Dan, you guys will have a lot of paperwork Mm -hmm. this week. But just submit the rest of your reports. You know, you got plenty of evidence that says we are all talk and no action. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Boys down at Langley will love that. This week, Communist Movie Night, we watched Dr. Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Extremely good subtitle. Yeah, uh, this is a classic. A lot of you guys probably have seen this before. But Christine, you hadn't, right? I hadn't. My husband had not either. This was directed by Stanley Kubrick in 1964, uh, starring Peter Sellers in three roles. Oh, really? Yeah, the president, Dr. Strangelove, <gasps> the title character, and uh, uh, Mandrake. Um, oh, the British guy? The British guy. <gasps> I had no idea. Yeah, that was all Peter Sellers. That's hilarious. He's very good at, you know, impressions, voices. (laughs) Extremely. I thought those were different guys. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Peter Sellers in three roles. George C. Scott, uh, Sterling Hayden, who was the only, like, communist connection I could could find in the actors. Mm, Okay, okay. He was a former Communist Party member. He basically joined right after World War II because in, uh, he, he served in World War II, in the OSS, like the precursor to the CIA, helping the Yugoslav partisans. And he admired them a lot, so he joined the Communist Party when he came back. He had kind of a, a troubled situation there, though. He, he renounced his membership later when HUAC and the Red Scare happened, and he named names. <gasps> okay, okay. Which guy was he in the movie? Uh, Sterling Hayden was uh, Ripper. Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> he okay. uh, later, though, expressed remorse for naming names, basically saying the FBI had threatened him with the custody of his children and stuff. Of course they did. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who else do we have on the cast list? James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones looking so young and fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another movie we should watch that has him in it is Matawan. He's apparently in that. Okay. What's that? That's it's about uh, the Battle of Matawan, which was in 1920, a coal miner strike in West Virginia. Oh, okay. Uh, one of the biggest, like, violent, most violent labor disputes. Yeah. Okay. So with James Earl Jones, I felt like that might have been a connection because he did those readings of um, Paul Robeson. Yes, and uh, what the slave is the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think he's you know maybe of that. He's got the right, you know, the right strike. Yeah. But he doesn't have anything on his Wikipedia page about, you know, avowed <laughs> Come on, James Earl Jones. So, yeah. <laughs> Tell us. He has not said in Come an on interview. the show. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Oh. Uh, that way, listeners will have an even better voice to regale them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll put you to shame. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. So, what over... Just let's do an up top. What'd you think? 
I thought it was good. I thought it was weird. Kind of silly. Yeah. Yeah. That Those are my three adjectives. <laughs> good. Weird. Silly. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. It was all those. <laughs> uh, I, I think, yeah, I agree. It's absurd. And somehow it's absurdity. I, I think it kind of does a lot of work, not just to be lighthearted and, and introduce, but like it's absurdity doesn't really quite match. Doesn't come up to how absurd the actual shit that they're talking about is okay yes that was i think why it works is that like it's ridiculous but at the same time you're like i could see this happening like not to this like looney tunes level Mm -hmm. but i think like just one of those things has to happen you know what i mean like you just have to have one crazy guy in there which like we defo do you know yeah yeah and (laughs) oh We have more than one, I'm sure. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our scene by scene, our trademark thing here. This is a pretty short movie, an hour and a half, basically. Oh, yeah, we'll be fine. So our episode will probably be about that length. You can watch it, and then you can enjoy <laughs> do it again. Terry. Yeah. <laughs> so opening shot, that's the refueling thing, right? The yes. aerial refueling with the credits? Yes. And they, oh, they also have like a little text beforehand which i did in like kind of a uh what's the name for that accent where it's like what the old actors used to use uh transatlantic accent. that's it i did it in that and then like the voiceover happened i was like well i kind of nailed it <laughs> there was a voiceover for that there part? was uh so not oh for the, the later the, the later device thing yes yeah because they so at the beginning what do they say at the beginning they say uh the defense department denies this or something yeah basically just like <laughs> just just kidding was basically the the summation of that text was like nobody here is based on a real person wink yeah <laughs> um and then they say oh there's a rumored doomsday device in the remote region in some remote region mm-hmm. unknown of the soviet union we don't really have any evidence of it they say but like <laughs> definitely those communists are up to something for you know? sure <laughs> But then they just leave that for later. Mm. Then we're introduced to our friend, General, aptly named Jack D. Ripper. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, In Strategic Air Command, from scene one, you can already tell this guy is very paranoid. Uh, He's very bossy. He's calling up his counterpart, this British exchange officer, Field Captain Mandrake. Okay, so it took me a while to figure out he was an exchange officer. I was like, why is there a British person here? And then, like, that combined with, like, the sign in the back that said, peace is our profession, and I couldn't read, like, what was underneath that. So I was like, is this supposed to be, like, you know, the UN or some sort of, like, mm-hmm. you know, conglomerate? Yeah. Or NATO or something. Yeah, yeah, NATO, yeah. Yeah, I even on the rewatch, I was trying to remember the details of this. Like, wait, is he... Is he calling up the the Royal Air Force? What's going? Okay, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, he's the exchange officer." All right, they they reveal it a little yes, later. Yes, yes. Calls him up and he's like, "Hey, he's smoking a cigar, you know," and he says, we're, "He's putting the base on condition red," and just says, "We're we're in a shooting war. We're gonna do this thing. We're shutting down the base. We're gonna give." the planes in the sky we're gonna give them plan r mm-hmm. you don't really know what plan r is yet but it's not good <laughs> <laughs> and also he wants to confiscate radios to prevent sabotage 
you can already, he also comes across as really paranoid here. He's like, do you recognize my voice? This sort of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And like, (laughs) you know, immediately, you know, the Brit's like, okay, cool. Like it's a drill. And he's like, it's not a drill, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it becomes clear they're, they're at strategic air command, which was a real thing. Uh, last, they got rid of it after the cold war, I guess, but, um, it was a real thing, and, okay. and the part, the informational part about like, uh, they have twenty four hour readiness and everything. Yeah, that was all true too. Okay, was was the part where there's planes going back and forth with nukes all the time? That's true. Yeah, that was true as well. I hate that so much. Yeah, they, I mean they don't do that anymore. Like okay. The nuclear readiness stuff. Yeah, yeah. To my, I mean, I guess to our knowledge, like it's probably something they, <laughs> they could might still have do. A, I guess, a drone but. or something up there. Yeah, but most of the stuff is now ICBMs instead of strategic bombers. At that point, it was strategic bombers. Our missile technology basically wasn't that great. So the ICBMs, those are the intercontinental ones. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Intercontinental ballistic missiles, as Mm -hmm. we were discussing before the show. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the ones long range enough to, you shoot them up into space and you bring them down wherever you want. Gotcha. But back then they had to have a guy to fly it over. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's why they always had planes in the sky. They were that always sucks. doing these aerial refuelings and all this shit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, did this always go off without a hitch? No. Uh, so much so that there are actually, uh, we, we lost six nuclear weapons. Oh, guys, you can't do that. Back then, uh, do, <laughs> doing like doing these flying around sorts of things. Uh, the latest one was in 1968. Cool. So, yeah, from 1950 to 1968, we lost six nuclear weapons. Wow. don't know where they are. Never but found them again. I will say every, like, screenwriter for action movies was like, I got my plot. <laughs> Bad guy finds nuke. Yeah, bottom of the ocean, mm-hmm. dig it up. Or there was one that was in a field. Like, <gasps> they know it's there. They just, in, in Goldsboro, North Carolina, 1961, <laughs> uh, a plane crashed. A B-52 crash shortly after takeoff. They found the other one. They found the tail of this one. Oh, no. But they didn't find the probably armed nuclear core of it. Cool. Cool town. So the Army Corps of Engineers' solution was to buy the land around it. <gasps> just say, don't, don't dig Don't here. go here. <laughs> <laughs> no oh. deed of honor has been done here. <laughs> oh, my God. That's ridiculous. Yeah. A normal thing to do (laughs) super chill not a problem not at all dangerous it's what one can expect from an organization whose motto also literally was peace is our profession okay so that was real that's real that's fucking kidding me (laughs) the nukes organization yeah very peaceful nukes you got there (laughs) uh yeah based on a true story (laughs) okay okay i wrote it down like i gotta ask but i already i knew in my heart of hearts like it probably is and i'm gonna be really upset about it (laughs) yeah wow so from there we cut to the guys in the sky they're so chill yeah it looks this this is a nice life man you just look at nudie mags yeah man i don't know what they were all all what they were doing reading Mm -hmm, just chilling hanging out they get the attack order. They're kind of like, what the fuck? Uh, get a little back and forth with uh, Slim Pickens and the guy on the radio. Slim trying to Pickens. figure out, is this for sure? But yeah, 
Okay, can we talk about the names in this movie? Yes. They're all weird. I mean, obviously, Dr. Strangelove. But, and that one, like, gets an explanation a little bit. But, like, <laughs> this super country uh, pilot is named Kong. Yeah. And then James Earl Jones is something with a Z. It's like Zazo or Zazzy or something. Uh, he is, yeah, yeah, you're right. Lothar Zog. Okay, what? <laughs> What are these I don't know names? if they ever say his first name. I didn't know. I didn't movie. see the first name ever. That's just on the cast list. But uh, what was the other guy you said? Oh, yeah. King Kong. Major TJ King Kong. Mm-hmm. And then even, uh, what's this? Mandrake. Like, that's kind of a weird name. Like, all the names, I was like, this feels like you were so worried about, like, getting a real name in there. that <laughs> You're just like, I'm going to make them all stupid. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jack D. Ripper, like, mm-hmm. yeah, Buck Turgidson. <laughs> like, uh, what the fuck? Yeah, that's probably part of it is you, you're making it so farcical. And I think, again, that's well done in the context of what they're talking about. It's very grim, but it's also very ridiculous that presumably very intelligent people will come to these conclusions so it makes sense to have this over-the-top and nonsensical cast names and everything to <laughs> draw that kind of uh, contrast, I guess. Okay, okay. I mean, it is entertaining. Yeah, uh, you know, opinions might differ. Tastes differ. <laughs> so maybe some people are like, that's the stupidest thing of this movie. <laughs> I think it's funny. All right, so Major Kong's up there. He's like, all right, this is it. Nuclear combat, toe-to-toe with the Ruskies. <laughs> oh, my God. He's so happy about it. <laughs> he get, yeah, I, I love how they have this safe. They have seemingly multiple safes or something in this plane. Yeah, okay, to get the plan out. Well, he gets out his cowboy hat. Oh, I didn't catch scene. that. Maybe I was writing a note. <laughs> yeah, he puts up his helmet, but I, I don't know, extracts the headset from it, mm-hmm. and then gets his cowboy hat out. <laughs> Which he had in his in a safe. safe. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't want anyone else here stealing the cowboy That's hat. That's very so. important. All <laughs> uh, right. So we know he's serious now. He's got mm-hmm. his hat on. Mm-hmm. Is this when he gives a speech or is that later? It's a little bit later, but I don't think I marked it as a separate thing. I didn't either. He just gives a big, you know, gung-ho, this is it kind of speech. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty well written because it was... Not good. Mm-hmm. Like it <laughs> so it was like convincing that this would be the inspirational speech from, you know, the random ass pilot that like, he's just like, uh, I know you guys are going through emotional things. Uh, and he just, I don't know, repeats himself, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was not great. And every time the, uh, we switch to the pilots, the music changes to the Anska marching in. Mm, yeah johnny yeah. goes marching home oh okay i only know the children's version which is ants <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's their the strategic air command theme i guess mm-hmm. they actually had their own song in real life so oh, that, that wasn't it but <laughs> next hottie yeah we get to the lady Oof, the this girl. only woman in the film cool cool love it <laughs> but it makes sense i mean Pretty much everyone is a dumbass in this movie, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're all (laughs) testosterone up idiots, so. (laughs) No offense to my kind, but. uh, Yeah, yeah, y'all are all right sometimes. (laughs) And they uh, 
cut to her. She's all chilling on his bed, scantily clad. Turns out this is General Buck Turgidson's room. This is his secretary. Uh, and she's like taking a phone call from him and doing just this, you know, basic comedy sketch of relaying everything uh, from the phone call. Uh, but this drags General Turgidson off to the war room. Okay, and then we go back to the base. Yeah, we cut back to the base, and General Ripper is there giving on the radio. Simple <laughs> rules. <laughs> yeah, uh, because I mean, you have to you have to prepare. The commie has no regard for human life, not even his own. <laughs> cool. In in psychiatry, we call that projection. This is Mister. <laughs> Let's start a nuclear war over here. Mm-hmm. Say. Saying we have no regard for human life. Yeah, yeah. And then talking about, yeah, commie traitors. When it's like, well, who really fucked up the chain of command today? <laughs> right? <laughs> He's giving all these paranoid orders. Don't trust anyone unless mm-hmm. you know them personally. It's crazy. It's, yeah, uh, it's nuts. Shoot first, ask questions later. <laughs> yeah, he just says he that. He just says <laughs> that. Literally, it's a direct <laughs> quote. Uh, lovely human. Uh, Mandrake's going around shutting everything down. He finds a radio. He brings it in to Ripper. Yes. Okay. I was super confused by this. I was like, wait, what? Because I didn't, I didn't understand what that meant at first until they finally explained it. Right. Same. Honestly, at first I was like, oh, he's just going to turn it in because there was that order about the radios earlier. He's just like, here, found one, you know, but no, he goes into Ripper with the radio and kind of says, hey, doesn't look like anything's up you know they're playing fucking music on the radio yeah because this this plan r is supposed to be a retaliatory thing it's like oh they took out washington or they took out a big target so we're responding right uh that's the whole thing with this doctrine mutually assured destruction is that you have two buttons to push basically start or retaliate (laughs) start retaliate or you can just sit on your hands and do nothing right you can have no response or overwhelming response or yeah let's fuck them up first uh that's that's all you've got there's no steps in between uh in terms of the use of nuclear weapons so he's like hey you know it doesn't seem like anything's happened it's just a drill great you know uh we can kind of tone things down and that's when Ripper says, my man, it's not what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is this when he locks him in his office. Yeah. Yeah. He threatens him and he's like, I'm, you know, I had to take action. Basically, this is his first reference of fluids, which we'll learn more <laughs> about that later. Yeah. I can no longer sit back and allow communist infiltration, communist indoctrination, communist subversion in the international communist conspiracy to sap and impurify all our precious bodily fluids. <laughs> what the fuck? Our what now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is our first indication that like a QAnon guy is starting a global yes. nuclear war. <laughs> yes, this is like, oh, he's full on crazy town. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get back to the details of that, I guess. Uh, but then we cut back to the war room, which looks cool. Like... I will say cool set design. Yeah, it's we would need we need to build something like this not for war, <laughs> but for something cool. It, it gives me that Chilean. Um, yeah, the supercomputer. Yeah, the cyber sin. That's vibe, it. That's it. You know. Yes. Yes. So we need something like that. I mean, that's 
top tier. Like it's it's up there. Day you know, one. <laughs> solve homelessness. Build cyber sin. Got to Well, you could use the map to track your commune resources and stuff. Like, oh, you know, province B needs more corn. Got it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you got all. You got the president. You got a comical amount of advisors and generals and stuff there. And yeah, they they start they start talking things out. I like that. Buck Turgeson in front of him, he had a binder. Do you see this? No, what did the binder have? The binder on its spine there said, Global targets and mega deaths. Oh my god, a normal binder to carry around with you. Mega death, some of you may. It's a metal band. It's a metal band, right? With, mm-hmm. with death spelled D E T H. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this, but mega death like that is a unit referring to a million deaths. Wow, okay. An actual thing. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, normal binder to have. Mm-hmm. Global targets in megadeths. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they start their discussion there. I mean, sounds... Buck is just like, well, it's too late, basically. Like, let's... Fuck it. Let's just try to wipe them all out. Plan R is already going. Like, there's no taking it back. Like, this is when they explain to the president, like, there's no safeguards, basically. Yeah, it's wild here, because... He runs down what Ripper has done, and the president is just like, <laughs> "Sorry, what?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, like this should not be able to happen. You're saying a single general is able to shut down a base entirely, start a nuclear war. We can't communicate with the plane. He's the only one with the codes. Like, what the fuck are we doing? It's funny though. I love Durgerson's like. I don't want to judge. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "You signed off on this," and it's like, "Oh my god." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, and they explain to him, and this is another part that is really actually a thing. Mm. They explained to him that this was part of the strategy of deterrence. People thought about it and they said, hmm, uh, what happens if the Soviets decide let's just decapitate the leadership there? We don't need so many bombs this way. We just hit Washington and now they can't hit us back. And so they said, okay, well, we got to keep the threat up that we will still hit them back even if they attack our guys. So we're going to devolve this authority to strike thing. And, and yeah, that's, that's the accepted doctrine there. This is pretty funny, actually. Movies released. The Air Force produced a documentary about uh, Strategic Air Command. Kind of said, oh, no, 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 no. You know, the president has very tight command over this. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, Later on, academics went back and researched this, looked at declassified documents. And in fact, uh, the president had authorized pre-delegation for the use of nuclear weapons. Oh my God. This. This could have happened. Not quite so level, but low level, but like, yeah, high ranking generals and stuff Mm -hmm. could totally do this. This was signed off on. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Okay. So I have a question. Where, okay, you're making a movie like this. Uh, how did he, how did he do it? How did Kubrick do this? Like, how did he get his research or like, like even just being able to film planes and shit? Like, I just feel like at that time period, you would need like, you need a serious connection to be able to make that happen. Especially if this is the message that you're going out with. Yeah, uh, I am not sure. How he? I mean, I know he's the, the the filming and everything is done in England, so maybe this helps in in 
distancing himself. But I'm not sure. I mean, there were critics of the system overall. On Wikipedia, it says, lacking cooperation from the Pentagon in the making of the film, they had to uh, reconstruct the aircraft cockpit to the best of their ability. They basically compared it to a B-29 from World War II and a single photograph of the cockpit of a B-52. But they got pretty close. Like they, they did pretty well. Yeah. And the Air Force personnel came to look at it and they were like, yeah, this looks really right. Wow. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. So they really didn't get a lot of input on that. They just kind of, you know, I mean, made up most of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Did their best. <laughs> yeah. I was impressed. I was like, damn, like this looks pretty real. Like the refueling stuff, like the the cockpit, like war room is a little over the top, obviously. But yeah, I was just like, damn, like you'd have to have some some sort of inside knowledge there. Yeah, they did uh, work with the book, I guess. They, I mean, there was there's some book that are that it's based on Red Alert, a novel of suspense. Ooh. But maybe there was more, in, you know, maybe he, this author did more research of the details and stuff and they use some of that i don't know okay cool cool and then it makes sense that they they filmed in britain like i was just watching a movie the other day that was talking about how a lot of film production moved over there during the red scare because like you could you could still make movies there yeah <laughs> what else what else what else oh oh uh, the yeah but this is when buck is like fuck it <laughs> let's go all in because they've they pretty much confirmed everything they they figure out that they, they have rippers call that's like i'm doing this because of the fluids yes <laughs> i don't really know what that means they're like ah what and yeah turgeson says fuck it let's go <laughs> i love his delivery here and everything i don't know if it's this scene or a later scene or what at some point in the production of it he doesn't want to really go over the top and everything he thinks it's kind of silly and kubrick just tells him like hey i'm not gonna run the cameras and just has him shoot it any, but then actually does run the cameras oh, and uses that. I don't classic. know if it's this scene or later, but yeah. So that's why he's just so like, whoo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think is perfect for what they're going for here, but. I love it. He's like ranting about like, let, let's knock him out. We're looking at the difference between 20 million dead and 150 million dead. And the president's like, this is mass murder. You know, this is crazy. What are you talking about? Uh, I like. This is one of my favorite quotes from the movie. Mr. President, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair must. <laughs> I do say no more than 10 to 20 million killed tops, depending <laughs> on the breaks. Uh, and, okay, I do think it's interesting the president was like, well, I don't want to go down in history as, as a worse mass murderer than Hitler. And Buck says in return, you shouldn't care so much about history. And I'm like, it's not that, like, he's being egotistical, I don't think. Right, I yeah. I think it's just he doesn't want to do that much murder. Right, yeah, but he tries to turn it on. Oh, you shouldn't be thinking about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is pretty insane, right? Who would advocate for murdering 20 million to 150 million people? To save a certain kind of people slightly more. Well, I learned this today. Uh, <laughs> liberal icon President John F. Kennedy uh, actually had his advisors plan out Mm. Uh, a first strike nuclear attack on the Soviet Union in cool. 1961. Cool guy. 
Yeah, they planned it all out. They were like, what if we do this? You know, how would this end up working? Could we like do limited steps in between? Blah, blah, blah. Wow. But yeah, they planned it all out and everything. They didn't end up doing it, obviously. Kind of walked it back or, or did, you know, just kind of canned it till till the Cuban Missile Crisis. But uh, but yeah, that was that was totally a thing. You hear about the Cold War in, in the abstract now. It is a historical time period. But like how fucked up, like how much trauma could that have been to like on some level know or suspect that governments are like coming up with those sorts of plans and are prepared to use them? Yeah, uh, it had to be. I wouldn't say that those societies that were that existed in that time period were exactly healthy psychologically you know yeah i mean i guess that's the thing is that like luckily most of those people were kind of brainwashed into thinking like that was you know the better result was to strike first or to get a retaliatory strike in or whatever like they were on Mm. the side of of patriotism but still i mean you have kids doing like drills where you just get under your desk for a nuke which does zero things yeah so i don't know like on i i i'm so curious as to like what regular people thought about this and what they like you know those that did question it like what they thought you know that would be a interesting avenue for research for a future episode or something is if y'all know any cool old people well, yeah, because I mean, there, there is, there, there was at that time like a, a peace movement, you know, uh, there were lots of organizations that were working toward, were, were anti-nuclear weapons, were pro-disarmament, were just anti-war in general, you know, and a lot of those got accused of being communist fronts. Some of them were Soviet-backed, some weren't, but yeah, I mean, that was a, that's totally... There were what we would consider more rational people looking at this, you know, and saying, what the fuck, this is messed up. Yeah, because, I mean, I think rational is right. Like, listeners know I spend a lot of time with, like, a, a kindergartner. And this feels like when you are, you know, you have two kids fighting over something and they break it. And it's like, well, you've ruined it for everybody now. A single nuke in the situation will ruin everything for everybody. Yeah. But that's the crazy thing about deterrence or about, uh, yeah, deterrence, mutually assured destruction is you've got to come up with ways to make not using a nuke the preferred alternative. And it seems like to them, the only way that they could come up with was. Well, we have nukes too, was threats. Well, yeah, threats is, is if you do that, we're going to try to destroy you completely with nukes. And so you wouldn't do that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just I'm super curious about the psychology of this and like how much of that was government back to be like, yeah, this is a good plan, you know, and versus like, does that actually work? You know, loads of it. I mean, like real research. Uh, One of the the origins of the doomsday device that we'll get to later. uh, One of the origins of that is this concept of a doomsday machine. Uh, which was first written about in a book called On Thermonuclear War. Okay. Some light reading. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) A guy named Herman Kahn, a military strategist. He was working for the Rand Corporation, which they 
they parody here uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, they, yeah. They did research for the Bland Corporation. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> um, but in the book, the Doomsday Machine is presented as a, like, internally logically consistent. It's like the endpoint of MAD, of mutually assured destruction. It makes sense from the point of view of MAD's logic. But from the human point of view, it's disastrous. And that's the point the book makes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, Lester's, if you've seen the movie War Games, starring, uh, uh, what's his name? Ferris Bueller. Uh, Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick, thank you. It's one of my faves. <laughs> and it's basically that, too, of like, yeah, the computer eventually reaches a point where it's like, ah, fuck. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So the the logical endpoint to that is, okay, we'll break the toy. We, we will destroy everything. You don't want that to happen. No one wants that to happen. So we're not going to use nukes anymore. It's completely anti-human because it just, you know, puts the sword of Damocles above you and says, yeah. we're all going to, we're all going to die if we do that. So we can't do it. But like, it has to literally put the threat of dying above. <sighs> you. And so the book was actually arguing like, that's bad. That's a bad idea. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But the guy was not great. The guy's alternative was to just kind of put some extra steps in between that and nuclear war called flexible response. But mm. I mean, he still thought you could win a limited nuclear war, which is still still crazy bonkers. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but no, that, that was just the accepted doctrine of this was everyone said it's just distrust. I mean, it's just like we don't mm-hmm. we we can't tell that the other person won't do terrible thing so we have to escalate yeah it's a prisoner's dilemma situation yeah but i mean like i said that was Rand corporation research uh, they, they poured millions billions of dollars into researching this and, and strategy game theory all this mm-hmm. to try to figure out what would be the best you know the best way to deter mm-hmm. the other side from using nuclear weapons where are we we got we got off here yeah, the president said, no, we're not going to do a first strike. Is the president like supposed to be a riff on like Truman? He just has some Truman vibes. Uh, I don't know if he's supposed to riff anyone. He, to me, came across as Adlai Stevenson. Mm, who's that? Adlai Stevenson was never president, obviously. Yeah. But he ran for he president. <laughs> he looks sort of similar. Um, he ran for president, though, a few times and lost. Oh, okay. But I don't think he's supposed to be anybody. He's just a respectable man. Yeah. <laughs> but the president says, no, we're not going to first strike. We're going to bring in the Soviet ambassador to show him the war room. Everyone's so upset about that. <laughs> like, You're going to bring that dirty commie in here. Yeah, I love it. He's like, he's going to see the map. And I'm like, it's a map. Like, <laughs> I think he knows what maps are. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, intelligence. That's military yeah. intelligence that you're going to reveal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we cut back to the plane and they're opening their rations, their supplies, their emergency supplies. <laughs> I love these supplies. The combination of uh, Russian phrase book and Bible got me because it's just so <laughs> tiny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's got to be New Testament only or something. That's too small. <laughs> <laughs> One line in particular always sticks out to me in this part uh, where... They're digging all out all the stuff from the supplies, and they say, "Oh, you got three sticks of lipstick, yeah, three nylon stockings, 
Guy says, shoot, a fella could have a pretty good weekend in Vegas with all that stuff. I know. I know. I was like, what are you doing there, Ripper? Or not Ripper, uh, Kong? <laughs> well, here's an interesting little tidbit. Okay. When he says that, he clearly doesn't say Vegas. His mouth doesn't match. Oh. The line was originally a pretty good weekend in Dallas. <gasps> this movie was released in 1964. That scene was already shot before the president was shot oh. in November 1963. Okay, so they're like, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after that, they had Slim Pickens do the voiceover for uh-huh. Vegas. But you can still, like, you can still see him say Dallas. There. That's funny. Also, that's great that that's his real name. It's, like, his real name is as ridiculous as his, his cast name, like Slim well, Pickens. Y- yeah, it's, I mean, it's his real actor name, I guess. Uh, yeah, he, I'm sure that's not his, his Christian name. <laughs> <laughs> Let's well, call yeah. him Slim. <laughs> Slim Pickens. Uh, there's a restaurant chain called Slim Chickens. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's a reference, I guess. Or, it's good. It's good maybe, chicken. Maybe not to him particular, but the... I assume but the, it would uh, be the phrase. The phrase "slim pickings." All right, so sorry. again, I watched a movie that was set around this time period, and yeah, they they were talking about how like nylons are very valuable. This this woman was she's like a lady police officer, and she goes in and she like starts looking at through like a suspect's room, and she's like, oh, like she's like impressed by the the nylon stockings. And, like oh. this American would bring nylons over to like mm-hmm. impress like British ladies. Oh, okay. So they were valuable to like to own. I think so. Like you could kind of use them to trade. (laughs) Interesting. Next, we're back in the war room and they're bringing in the hated Soviet ambassador. (laughs) He seems pretty uptight, like he's pampered or something. He looks grouchy. Yeah. (laughs) He prefers the Cuban cigars to Mm -hmm. those of imperialist stooges. That was funny. (laughs) Uh, And then they start fighting. Immediately, just start like physically fighting. And I love when the presence. You can't fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect. Oh, good. There's the camera, and he's like, "Oh, he had this camera. No, mm-hmm. he planted this camera on me." And I love the president's still mad about them like being bad in the war. Yeah, room. yeah. He does not care about any of that. He just wants the decorum. He's just like this behavior is unacceptable. <laughs> Did he plant the camera? You think? Or like, could we see like in a a re? play of the scene or something uh i didn't look that closely i didn't either (laughs) Uh, i i thought that he had tried to plant it because later he does break out a camera that's different unless he had a backup camera that's what i was thinking too also buck has to that point has been so crazy that like i wouldn't put it past him right yeah he just goes over to the cia guy gets you know hey do you have any cameras on you he probably has like six gives him one of them so he can plant it on him when he comes also, Buck chews so much fucking gum. It made me anxious. <laughs> He's like chain chewing gum. Yeah. He's like eating it, I guess. I don't know. Because, yeah, I was like, is he, he's not spitting it out. So I guess he must be. <laughs> and he's like offering it to people like you yeah. would offer cigarettes. Constantly. It's wild. Uh, okay. So then they call Dimitri. I love this. <laughs> this made me so anxious. The whole movie, I was like, whenever people have a, a clock, you know, happening uh, and they're taking, like, he took forever to get to the point. He's like, oh, yeah, how are you? And like, you know, all this small talk. I was like, oh, my gosh, you just hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, I just, there's something really funny that happened. One of our generals, he went and did a silly thing. Oh, silly. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> it's, it's pretty funny, you know? And I'm like, I don't think it's funny. <laughs> and then he spends so much time after he tells him that, like, trying to soothe him. And yes, he's like, yeah, I like calling you. It's yeah. like they're dating. It was so funny. How do you think I feel about it? <laughs> <laughs> and then they argue at the end of the call. No, I'm I'm just as sorry as you are. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just so annoying. I'm like, wrap <laughs> it the fuck up. It's lovely. Uh, Come on, Dimitri. They're best friends. Yeah, take them back, Dimitri. <laughs> and then we cut back to the base. The base. And this is where we find out what the fluids mean. Yeah, because the attack has started. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead of launching the first strike, the president's alternative was to get a nearby base to go invade their own base to stop ripper unfortunately ripper has already given orders to like shoot anything within 200 yards so yeah so they just open up on the guys one of the guys says like man they look pretty convincing you know <laughs> yeah that was so funny he's like i bet they bought it at the army surplus <laughs> they bought the fucking <laughs> trucks and army uniform <laughs> the communists did oh so, yeah, the shooting's already started. Ripper's in there, locked in the room with uh, Mandrake. And so he starts breaking down the fluids thing. Yes. Says, yes. I mean, come on. Have you ever seen a commie drink water? No, these guys, they only drink vodka. Sure. Okay. First off, <laughs> we got some issues. Come on, man. We like to party. What can we say? <laughs> uh, I'm currently drinking Topo Chico, so I can't, oh. I can't play. I'm what you call a water man. Mm. <laughs> but is it pure water? That's the question. Yeah, that is the question. Because Ripper says he only drinks pure water. Well, not really. He don't, he drinks no. distilled water, rain water, Ugh. and grain alcohol. This does a lot to explain his state of mind and theories definitely, and everything. Definitely. <laughs> does he filter the rainwater? I... I hope so, but I bet he doesn't. Probably filters it through like a t-shirt or something. Like he <laughs> yeah, just has it just a coffee up. filter. <laughs> yeah. He's a fluoride nut. Yes. <laughs> Which these people exist. Yeah, this is a real thing. He says it's a monstrous, dangerous, communist plot. Which was real, and I guess is real. There's probably still fluoride people out no, there. No, there are, for sure. Uh, I think it's come up fairly recently. I can't remember the exact circumstances, but yeah, it's it's kind of, it's, it's runs similar to the the QAnon kind of thread. Yeah, because it's, it's a very right-wing yes. conspiracy, too. Uh, and there's a lot of angles on that, like uh, alleged negative health effects, like Ripper's talking about general government overreach, part of a, a communistic world government plot. The only one that I saw that made any amount of like even just regular logical sense <laughs> was that, okay, when you fluoridate, uh, okay, when you fluoridate water, you've got to keep fluoride or whatever near the water supply, which in too large of a dose is poisonous. So it's really, it makes it easy if you were bad a communist agent to come in and poison the water supply. Okay, okay. You know, that's the only part that I was like, oh, okay, yeah. That does make you more vulnerable, I guess. Or like someone could just fuck up and accidentally poison the water supply. Yeah, it's just generally more, more likely. 
Yeah, but like also water has to be treated somehow with stuff, right? So yeah, yeah. You're gonna in too large a doses, I assume you pretty much have that with everything you. I think so. But that, generally, it's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what he's he's a proponent of, or I guess an opponent of, is fluoridating mm-hmm. the water. He hates it. The office gets shot up at this point and Ripper is just, I mean, he's kind of a badass, but like also a crazy person. (laughs) He's like standing at the window, yelling at the people who are shooting at him. Yep. Just no regard for his life. No, (laughs) he's, he's, he's very communist in that way. Communist little sus. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he rips out a machine gun from his golf bag, which, I mean, that's just an everyday carry sort of <laughs> item for him, I guess. Oh, it's always in my golf bag. <laughs> uh, if you get pulled over and searched the next time you're driving around, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I don't even golf. It was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then we hop back to the war room, the doomsday machine. We talk about that. Yes. We find out what that is. Yeah. Basically, they... It just it triggers automatically if there's a if there's an attack or if you try to disarm it, uh, and it blows up like um, increased radiation cobalt thorium G, like a cobalt bomb basically, and will envelop the Earth in a death cloud and kill everyone, and leave the world uninhabitable for like a hundred years or something. Yes. Great. Cool machine. <laughs> They're like, why the fuck would you make this? <laughs> Is this when Dr. Strangelove shows up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Alexei, the Soviet ambassador, justifies mm. it and says, oh, we're trying to cut costs. You know, we're trying to keep up with you and all this shit. And we thought you guys were working on one. <laughs> and then the president's like, come on, r- don't be ridiculous. Were we working on this, Dr. Strangelove? Were we working on this? And that's and when like, Strangelove shows up. Uh, yeah. And he's like, ah. Oh. We weren't not working on this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So Dr. Strangelove, very weird guy. Let's talk about him real quick. All right. So great weird German accent. Extremely. It's cartoonish. It's like, <laughs> like I don't Yeah, kind of Kermit the Frog. Yes. Yes. Kermit yeah. the German Frog. Yes. Jordan Peterson, but German. <laughs> Uh, little round glasses, like sunglasses, a uh, little glove, and his hand is always doing weird stuff, which gets progressively weirder. Yeah, he's got like an uncontrollable alien hand syndrome. It was on the Wikipedia page. I don't know anything about it, if it's a real thing. Yeah, it looks like it's a real thing that can happen to people, you know, suffer various forms of brain damage to one hemisphere or the other, you know, this hmm. sort of thing. Interesting. So, but yeah, um, so he has that. Okay, great. That's super his Nazi weird hand. Dude. <laughs> yes, that is his Nazi hand, as we will see. Um, super weird dude. And yeah, he explains that the thing with the doomsday device is that you're supposed to tell people you have it. <laughs> and then the ambassador's like super embarrassed. He's like, yeah, we were going to announce it Monday. <laughs> they love surprises. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, man, that's deterrence is you've got to tell everybody... Here's what I'll do to you or else, you know, sort of thing. Okay, so another question psychologically, I guess, or strategically about deterrence is, on the one hand, you want to tell people what you got and what you're going to do. 
But on the one, on the other hand, to be you know a little bit of a tevia here, on the other hand, <laughs> um, you probably don't want to give away all your secrets, though, right? So like, how much are you holding back? You know, are you just very vague? Like, I'll hit you back. You don't say like with what and how much. Uh, it depends. I think with the retaliatory capabilities, mm, there's uh, okay. This is all from the the, the butcher's point of view. Oh yeah, First we're we're playing bad guy here. We don't <laughs> yeah, agree with yeah. any of this. <laughs> yeah, bad guy point of view here is uh you do want to keep some ambiguity about specifics where your shit is stored. Definitely. You don't want anyone to know that so that you can have secret places that they can't strike if they strike first. Gotcha. But you want them to know as much about your destructive capacity, I think as possible and probably over inflate that. Right. Uh, so you want to say, Oh, we've got 1.5 times the amount we actually do of whatever. And it helps to have like submarine stuff that can't always be tracked. And you can say we have, you know, again, more than what we actually have. So that even if they're able to track all your guys, they still think there's ones that they haven't tracked. That's sort of mm, okay. Okay. You kind of want to oversell, I think. Because that's one of the things about the the Kennedy plan that I mentioned before is that they discovered they had been one of the Kennedy's things was that he crowed about in the election that we were suffering from a missile gap. They reference this in the in the movie with the mine shafts gaps later. Mm, OK, yeah. But Kennedy said, oh, the Republicans, you know, they've let us fall behind the Soviet Union. They've got so many more missiles than us. But this is actually because Khrushchev was out there just telling people Oh, yeah, we've got this many missiles and all this and everything. And then they did satellite photos and they didn't have that much. They did not have those missiles. Okay. And so that's when they throw the plane together. It's like, oh, it's actually way easier to take out all their shit and not get attacked that much. We'll only lose, you know, we'll take a haircut 10 to 20 million times. (laughs) Not a big deal. Uh, (laughs) And then, you know, some of the generals said, oh, you don't know about the hidden shit. Like, you know, there's other, you know. So there was all this controversy about that, but mm. that's part of it is uh, effective deterrence, I think, involves over uh, stating oh, your capacity. God. Okay. Make the other guy more scared than they really need to be about hitting you. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's so fucked. It's all. Yeah. It's again, should you find yourself in this position? You fucked up somewhere. First off. <laughs> resign or undermine <laughs> the institution you're in. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. I mean, this feels like the highest possible stakes of like, you know, the whole dance you have to do when you buy a car. And it's like, well, they know you're going to like try to lowball them and they're going to highball, you know, like that kind of yeah. bullshit that I have very little patience for of like, can I just buy a thing with my money? <laughs> yeah, that's def. So, I mean, I know we're trying to, you know, eliminate as many markets for stuff as we can and just decommodify things and generally abolish money and and markets and stuff altogether. But even in the interim, one of the things we should ban is car and buying negotiating. Yeah, this is just like, I don't fucking haggle over a banana at the store, guys. Like, can we just just call it a day? That's another top tier one we got to do. It's homelessness. It's what was (laughs) was the other one that we said? Cyber sin. Yeah, Cybersyn and no car haggling. <laughs> the sticker is what you pay. <laughs> yeah. But then tomorrow you don't pay at all, so don't worry about it. Tomorrow we build a super rail, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, wh- why are we buying cars? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they have the doomsday 
machine. Yes. They didn't say, tell anyone about it. That's Whoops. the big revelation. Uh, and then we get back to the base. They have their dis, you know, discussion and stuff. They talk a little bit more about how Ripper got to this conclusion about fluoridation. And it seemed like he couldn't get it up one time or something. It, okay, yeah, it was very weird and sexual. <laughs> he was, he, yeah, he had sex and it wasn't good or something. He, he said he felt drained. I'm like, so you had sex. That's probably you pretty just, normal. <laughs> yeah, you were just tired after sex or something. Yeah. I, it was unclear what happened there, really. That's, what I, that's how I interpret it. Is he was just fucking tired after sex. And then, like, he started this treatment and he wasn't any. But then it sounded like he he started not having sex afterwards. Yeah. Well, it says, he, he says, of course, women trust me, totally dig me. First mm-hmm. of all, they're well, always yeah. trying to get some, well, but, yeah. uh, he, he doesn't denies give them, them his essence. So he doesn't not, or I don't know. Like, he's he like a no fab at this point. Like what the fuck? <sighs> Very, no idea. I don't know. Of a, a vol cell. We call that. I think. What is that? Uh, like a voluntary celibate person. Oh yeah. 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 Gotcha. Instead of an incel. No, he's nuts. Yeah, <laughs> and Mandrake this is, is realizing this, and just, yeah. is just so like terrified. Is uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh. No, I, I, I do admire Mandrake's acting ability. Well, I guess meta acting ability that he's able to pull off, like the like soothing persona he has to be. Like he's trying to get Jack to trust him, and he's trying to be like, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> but, like, yeah, yeah. But like we can still see, like as the audience, like he thinks he's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. He's terrified and yeah ripper is afraid of having this information tortured out of him yes because only he has the codes yeah that's the thing the codes to bring back the planes to stop him from nuking yeah because they have like a special radio in the plane that is only has to only have the, the the that code before it which only ripper knows i think yes and so mandrake's like Tell me the codes, old chap, you know, <laughs> trying to convince him first, like, I drink water, I'm fine, maybe this is okay, but it doesn't work. Then, yeah, just tell me the codes, and then Ripper's like, look, I believe in an afterlife, see you later. Okay, I was frustrated with Mandrick at this point, like, okay, you should know at this point he's going to commit suicide, like, he's weirdly surprised by that, and I'm like, he's just started talking about like, I don't think I'll hold up well in a torture. I believe in an afterlife and then goes to the bathroom. Like those are your warning signs. Yeah. The bathroom up at that point, I think I'm slow to piece things together. So I might've been like, <laughs> yeah, it's a tough time, man. What if they come through and shoot us? You know, that I would be thinking about that too. The bathroom. Wait, Hey, hold on. Oh, hold on. Let's, let's have a seat. Yeah. So yeah. Ripper. Blast himself. Boom. And Mandrake's trying to get in. And we cut away back to uh, the bomber. Which it gets got. Oh, yeah. This dramatic missile scene. Missiles getting closer and closer. It's pretty anxiety inducing that part. It is. Uh, But they get hit and then they put out. They pretty effectively put out the flames, regain control just in time to kind of skirt these mountains. Uh, But they look pretty damaged. The, The recall radio ends up being out. There's, they have a leak in the fuel system, so there's just enough bomb. There's just enough fuel to get to the bombing site and then ditch out. And they have to fly real low the whole time to get this going. Yes, which means they're not going on radar, so like it's harder to find them. Yeah, which is great. Cool, very cool. 
back to the base, Mandrake finds <laughs> Ripper's diary, I guess. Yes, and it's just like the scrawlings of a madman. It's amazing. He's writing uh, one, what is it, one pure essence? Peace on Earth and uh-huh. Purity of Essence. Purity of Essence, that's it. Yeah, it was... Whew. It was a lot. There was like a little doodle of a hot lady there. Like, it was... There's a lot. Army guy shoots his way in. He and Mandrake go back and forth a little bit. Mandrake's like, I want to go tell the code to the president. I'm the next in command. And then this guy, whose name's Guano... Guano. ...is all about capturing him and sus- <laughs> suspects him of preversions. Preversions. That got me so hard. <laughs> Some kind of prevert. You're prevert. <laughs> what does that mean? Like you're about to be a pervert. Mm, <laughs> you're okay. a prevert. Yeah. On the road to pervert. <laughs> so he's like got him at gunpoint the whole time. Uh, poor Mandrake's over there trying to call the president on a payphone, but it's oh short of change. That made me so anxious about time. Like, hurry up. <laughs> and the, there, we've got a solution, though. Vending oh machine. God. Let's just uh, let's just shoot this open. <laughs> <laughs> That's private property. <laughs> it's like you're gonna have to answer the Coca-Cola company. Oh my god, it's so ridiculous. The fate worse than the nuclear destruction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they finally get this going. The code works. Everyone's so relieved. Turgeson leads a prayer, but then the the Soviet premier calls. We missed a plane. We thought we got it, and we didn't. Yeah. But Turgeson, of course, he's I'm beginning to smell a big, fat commie rat. <laughs> he's like, let's just fuck. He, again, he's like, let's fuck it up. Like, that's always his solution. Violence. That's all he understands. So, yeah, yeah. They're, they're trying to figure it out. You know, Turgeson thinks they're lying. But the president's like, hey, look, shoot it down. Here's where we think it's going. And then we find out. <laughs> <laughs> because the plane lost so much fuel, it's, it has to switch its targets. Yeah. So, like, right after that, it cuts back to the plane recalculating. And so, just after he was like, hey, we promise it's going here. <laughs> it's probably not. Uh, yeah. And so, then that's when we cut back to the war room. And the president says, I told them they could shoot it down. Mm-hmm. They can shoot it down, right? Is that possible? Or, like, is it even possible for these guys to get through the entire Soviet Air Force, basically? Yes. And that's when Buck is, like, he he starts saying, well, yeah, it is. And he starts, like, he starts describing it and gets, like, way too into it. And he's, oh, it's amazing. Like, he gets so horny for it. And he's, like, oh, yeah, yes, it is possible. (laughs) Like, he catches himself. Well, because he's, yeah, he's he's cheering for it, right? Mm -hmm. He's, oh, yeah, he's got a chance. But then I think he, like, realizes... And then we all die. <laughs> yeah, a chance to fucking kill us all. Fuck. Oh. <laughs> Cut back to the plane, the bomb door problem. It's not working. It's not opening. They check it and check it and check it. It's still tense, even though it's like it would be good if they failed. It's yes. still like a tense moment. <laughs> yes. So Kong goes to check it out himself. He's messing with it and messing with it and messing with it. There's this countdown to getting closer to the target. And then we see the iconic scene. Okay, I hadn't seen that before. I got a spoilie. Like, as the door wasn't opening, uh, Kyle was like, oh, this is the the cowboy on the missile. And I was like, well, spoiler, I hadn't seen that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yep, that's the cowboy on the missile. They, that's they, it. He opens the door, and he's, he's howling as it goes down, and just cuts to he, white. He died the way he lived. <laughs> uh, and then we're back in the war room. Oh my God. And Dr. Strangelove tells us just how strange he is. Oh, he's got a plan. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I mean, all the while he's explaining this plan, his his right hand is going nuts and keeps saluting in a Nazi <laughs> salute. Uh, sometimes he just blurts out mind fear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's oh, really I'm sorry, awkward. Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> it's super awkward. Um, but he explains. It's cool. We have mine shafts. We'll go down there. We can pick a select group of people. I've got a computer program already that we can pick the most, uh, the breedable people and from a cross section of skills. We'll need one man to 10 women. It's going to be a good fucking time. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course, we're going to include leadership of the military, leadership mm-hmm. of the government. I mean, we're naturally the best candidates there. Of course. We can save around 100,000 people, you know, we can have greenhouses for growing plants, animals to slaughter. slaughter. He loved the slaughter. <laughs> uh, it's just his random emphasis or his, his not random emphasis really were great. Yeah. Uh, and he's so fascinated by the sexual aspect of the oh, whole thing. For he sure. just keeps like, focusing on that. We have to pick them for their breedable characteristics. <laughs> uh, and yeah, his, his Nazi hand keeps going. Oh. He keeps like trying to fight it down or whatever. But it really drives home, I think, the fascistic nature of what he's doing. Just hits yes. you on the head with it. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, this is bad. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're talking about it. This is where they're like, oh, the mine shaft gap, you know? Like, yes. We better make sure we have enough of this. We, we, we have enough mine shafts and everything what if the russians start doing this i like the the russian diplomat sneaks off to to take a few pictures at this point <laughs> yep i know it's it's insane like you'd think okay that's it we lost we're done but they immediately start planning for the the cold war of a hundred years from now mm-hmm. yeah it's so frustrating <laughs> like we didn't learn anything today did we boys <laughs> that's uh part of the theme of the fallout games is War, war never changes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, at the, the final scene before, I don't know, the, the final scene here in the war room anyway, Dr. Strangelove, making his points more adamantly, stands up and takes a few steps. <laughs> Says, mine Fuhrer, I can walk. <laughs> and then, boom. And then, all the bombs. Yep. And that's what it ends on, is this montage of nuclear explosions. I love the music choice of we'll meet again as, as bombs <laughs> are going off. Because again, yeah. it's just it's a fucking horrible cycle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, what do we think about the themes of this movie? The thesis? What do we think? Well, I think clearly uh, it's a takedown of the mutually assured destruction idea i think it's it aims to show that that was indeed mad pretty ridiculous nuclear warfare in general is just it's fucked you know and i mean like we were we were reflecting on before that 
time period of having these two countries with vast stockpiles of nuclear weapons pointing them at each other, threatening to launch them all. This was, it's a wonder that we survived. Truly. Uh, Like that was horrifying, you know? Okay. But I do want to say, it's not like they just went away. The nuclear weapons? Yes. Because I feel like in the, I don't know, the historical sense or the media sense, it feels like, well, that was a thing that happened and we're done. And it, and I don't know, like, I'm not an expert on, like, who has the most nukes at this time. <laughs> I don't have my, my big threatening map behind me. But, <laughs> I mean, it's not like they're gone. And if anything, we, we have the most still, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. We have enough to destroy the world a number of times over. That's like what I thought. <laughs> bomb it or something. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they totally still exist. So the potential for disaster like accidental disaster, I think, is still there. Well, it's a lot lower, too. Okay. This is where I would say the media does miss the point, miss the aspect of, yeah, these uh, these bombs still exist. And, you know, crises still happen, so things bad can happen still. Uh, and accidents can. I do think the risk is lower by a lot because we're not doing exercises with them. We're not testing them. And we're also not really actively trying to point them at other countries and say, we might use this. Like, it seems that most respectable military personnel and civilian leaders think that it would be, it would be that we just should not saber rattle at all with nuclear weapons. So I think it's a lot better than it was in that regard. But the sheer number of them is really bad. Especially as they, they're not getting any younger. The technology is not getting any easier to, you know, dig back up the old manuals and see how mm. this thing works again, you know? Oh, no. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So that part, I think, is still risky. Yeah. I do think it's, it's just way less risky than it used to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's that's my thing is that I'm like, again, I, I go back to the like the kid with a toy metaphor. Like, if you can't. Like, you can't have that toy. Like, that's a, a, it's giving a child a gun. Like, don't do that. Like, I don't see the point of them even existing. I would argue that's the case for sure for Imperial Corps countries. That's like one of the things we need to work toward is getting our countries to get rid of nuclear weapons. My take on like, uh, like social states or revolutionary, uh, states or communes or whatever that spring up elsewhere on, in the periphery. I think still that the conditions are probably such that our countries are so unlikely to use nuclear weapons that... Or to even have the resources to make one. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably shouldn't waste the resources on developing that. Uh, I think, for example, uh, North Korea was probably smart to develop nuclear weapons, you know, to, to stay alive. Back then, the Soviet Union, I think, definitely was smart to do that because that was a time period when people were just like, we're just going to use nukes on you. So, if mm-hmm. I mean, if they hadn't, they may well have been invaded. Yeah. Uh, but the conditions are, I think, way different on the use of nuclear weapons now that you probably shouldn't go down that path if you're not already on it, even if you're one of these small states. I mean... Unless you just want to resort to making a terroristic threat of just, hey, we're going <laughs> to nuke your country if you 
if you decide to invade us or something, yeah. which I guess you could do. But it seems like a lot of resources to put toward that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another thing that hit me, like at the the end scene when it was just all these this montage of explosions, I was like, man, we've tested a lot of these fuckers, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> I just you never think about that. Like you, like I bet this is a this is a super simplified list, but in my head, I'm like, well, they probably tested a couple times out in like the desert, and then there's the two bombs. Like for Hiroshima and Nagasaki, like that—that's what my stupid brain thinks. But I'm like, no, there's a lot more than that, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, nuclear weapons testing—that happened a lot. I don't actually know how many we tested, but for them to have that much footage, a lot, a good amount. You know, it was, and that was, you know, not just the U.S. Lots of other countries did that too. They, you know, there's France did it, right? Yeah, yeah, France had nuclear weapons testing as well. So. It's a pretty widespread thing. And that's not like an ecologically neutral thing to do, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a very good point. Uh, we mentioned the Cuban Missile Crisis earlier. One of the things that mm, Fidel Castro argued about after the Cuban Missile Crisis even, he argued with the Soviet Union. He said, you guys really need to be more willing to fucking strike the U.S., man. They're assholes. Use your... Use nukes. I mean, wipe these guys out. They suck. They're doing so much damage all around the world. And the Soviets, what they did was they sent some nuclear weapons experts and some ecological experts to him. And they said, hey, here's what happens if we do that ecologically. He was like, okay, all right. Hey, never mind. Just kidding. That's bad. (laughs) I actually would like to not do that ever. (laughs) So, yeah, they're terrible things to have in existence. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, give me a quick reminder. Uh, who's the country that uh, is the only one to use that against a civilian population? That would be against any population. That would be the United States of America. Not ah, once, but twice. Cool, cool. Yeah. First cool and only. <laughs> yeah. Excellent country. Very Would cool. recommend. <laughs> Great superlative to have. Most likely to <laughs> nuke. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're awful weapons that we need to be working to get rid of. You know, I think the armament question should really be up to the various other periphery social states if they what exist and spring up. You do your thing. I can't tell you what to do. But it doesn't seem like the place to spend your resources given the current situation. But for us, I mean, we, we do need it's, it should be something that's talked about a little more, uh, I think than it is now yeah yeah i mean i the way i hear it most is saying oh this you know insert quote-unquote scary country here is developing Mm -hmm. nuclear weapons and i'm always like all right you want to talk about how many we have (laughs) yeah and uh, even if you just look at it ours are going to be more dangerous like they're oh yeah anything that a small little country can develop is is not they're probably not the the intercontinental kind, you know. They're they're not as powerful. They can't go as far. All that shit. Yeah. So, focus on the big boys that are really disastrous <laughs> if they accidentally go off. And like, also in the thing you should be more concerned about is in just from a coldly perspective is in your own country. Yeah. This will, if if these are destroyed or something, or they you know have an accident in a nation or whatever, that's a nuclear disaster. Like where you live you know you should be working against that yeah and i I think one thing this movie i think 
explored well was the nature of human error. That's something that kind of comes up in war games too, of, of an accident can make this happen. Just like one guy fucks up and that's it. And then, you know, there's the other side of it, of it's all automated. And like, that can be bad too. Well, like the doomsday machine. So mm-hmm. like, maybe we just don't guys. <laughs> right. That's, that's the thing is, is dangerous either way. If you have, uh, the existence of nuclear weapons, like it's high stakes. Yeah. There's no chill way to handle that. <laughs> Right, I and mean, even lower grade weapons than that have dangers. Uh, if you have like some sort of an armory with lots of ammo, and that stuff blows up, and and all everything starts going off, that's going to be that's bad. That's a potential potentially destructive thing, depending on where it's located. It's just upping the ante so much with For nuclear sure. weapons. And like we mentioned, we've had close calls before. You know, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, JFK's little idea of what if we just nuke the Soviets. Uh, <laughs> Straight up losing six nuclear weapons off of planes and stuff. Um, cool. There was, there, if you've ever heard about this, the guy that saved the world. Uh, no. From the, the false alarm, the Soviet Union had a like an early warning system for missiles and stuff in 1983 uh-huh. that went off. Uh, it said, hey, there's, there's a missile coming. Oh, fuck. And one of the officers in, in their like, air defense forces, uh, a guy named Stanislav Petrov, said... He double-checked. The Americans, yeah, the Americans are launching one missile at us. Yeah, why one? <laughs> You'd think yeah. you'd go for all of them. He's like, that's probably not happening. So he doesn't pass it up. <gasps> uh, and then, like, the, the, the warning system says, there's four now. What do you, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's looking like maybe there's more. And he's like, yeah, but four? <laughs> this I mean, is terrifying. They're assholes, but, like, that's still not very many. what do they do he's like that's probably another mistake uh apparently this warning system thing was pretty on or had had uh malfunctions and stuff before maybe not of this caliber but you know so he's like it's probably still a mistake i'm not gonna pass this up and sure enough these were false alarms wow it's very probable people debate on the level of probability but if this had been passed up it could have escalated into, hey, they're launched, we're launching, you know? Oh, absolutely. And like, I think that's another thing you have to think about. Like, when you're in a military context, the idea of loyalty and obeying orders is so drilled into you that, like, that guy had to disobey orders in order to save the world. Like, that's not always going to happen. Like, we saw in this movie, like, people firing on other troops because they were told to. So, like, that's also a danger for sure. Right. goes back to that theme of people being imperfect, technology in both cases being imperfect. And that's not so painful if the stakes are way lower, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Definitely. Uh, just, just don't uh, have the nukes, man. It, it doesn't yeah. escalate to this world ending. And level. like there's fuck ups today. Like there was, I'm not specifically with, with nukes. I don't remember mm-hmm. what the context was, but it was that false alarm in Hawaii a few years ago. Oh, the missile has launched or something. Yeah. Holy shelter. shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, so like fuck up still happen. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's about lowering those stakes. Another thing I thought was, that was a kind of a theme or, or I guess part of the plot, uh, is the, the dangerous potential of an independent military. Yes. Yeah. Once the military decides, oh, these, I mean, the, the language he was using about like, oh, these, these kind of eggheads are like, I don't trust these, like these, we could get infiltrated up there. Like, 
Yeah, of just going rogue. Ripper said it. He said, war is too important to leave up to the politicians or something. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. Ultimately, we want to abolish nations you know, and, <laughs> and borders. A little bit of international travel will remind you of your commitment to abolishing borders mm-hmm. uh, as a communist. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we want to get rid of that. We want to get rid of militaries, you know, eventually. But, I mean, practically, both anarchists and Marxists, I think, realize that revolutionary projects have to defend themselves in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. You know, the imperialist bastards are coming for you. Yeah. At some but on point. the on the imperialist side, we definitely yeah, I mean, have a danger. Yeah, we should be trying to dismantle these things yeah, <laughs> in, in our in our countries, definitely. But I mean, even in, in actual revolutionary projects, it's important to keep, you know, popular control over those institutions. So, you know, even if it's just like a people's militia or a red army or whatever you're yes. doing, you don't you want that thing that to get insulated. Yeah, exactly. And you end up in the hands of someone like Ripper, you know, <laughs> who just thinks they know better than everyone and it's just doing their own thing and causing problems. <laughs> yeah, because they're not going to be imperialist. I mean, if they're in, in a country like that, but they can still be adventurous. You they know, can they still could, be aggressive. Yeah, they could. They could be, oh, we're going to go pick this fight. And it's not something everyone else wants, but I'm going to do it because I know what's best. You know, that's the danger you run. The more freedom which I get why it's not just because you're stupid that you're doing that. It's because you think, oh, we got to be able to act fast, make fast decisions and stuff. You know, it makes sense. But that's only thinking in that purely military point of view without thinking of the potentially bad consequences. Definitely. Yeah, that has to be very, I think, integrated into the process. I mean, you know, if you look at the United States, like we have now really solidified the military to politics pipeline over the past few decades. So like they're becoming one and the same. So, but not in a good way in like a, you know, I'm a, I'm a fucking jumped up jingoist asshole way. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is run almost by the military to not in the direct sense, but in the sense that the military will ask for a certain amount of money and get more than that. Yeah, Congress, yeah, you know, and it's the two just, parties fight over who can give them more mo- extra money. Exactly. So, like, <laughs> they're they're in there now. <laughs> yeah, you would never, you know, it's very rare that you see any, any presidential administration or congressional action trying to rein in not just money wise, but in any way the military's ability to direct its own affairs. There's no way. Yeah. So, and we should be trying to increase that. We should be trying to decrease the military's like capability of doing anything. We should be you know, weakening it as much as possible. We can come up with the whatever explanations we need to for the general public because they love them. <laughs> but we should be really trying to downsize it, cut it as much as possible here in U.S., U.K., any of the capitalist countries. And then... The rest of you guys, your lesson is keep control of what you got. You know, don't let it run off. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you have to defend yourselves against assholes like our country, but. (laughs) We'll try to take them out from the side. Uh... The good guys here will (laughs) will do what we can. (laughs) Oh. All right. Uh, What's what's your star rating of this? Oh, star rating. I give it a four. I liked it. It was wacky. It was pretty fun. I don't know what it's missing for a five. I, I can't, like, articulate that. 
more babes, not enough babes. Not oh, not enough babes. Really, just one babe, which <laughs> yeah. is just not enough for me and my needs. So, well, but it also had a uh, young J- James Earl Jones. I loved that. That oh. was a babe was and a hunk. Definitely a babe and a hunk together. I wish there was a little more music. This is like it got really quiet sometimes, which I think worked. Uh, but sometimes it was distracting. And I mean, I thought it was really well done overall. So maybe yeah, I think a four. I'm going to give it a five because these are scenes of the war room in the 60s and, you know, a, a plane in the 60s and a military base in the 60s. There wasn't yeah, not a lot of room zones. for rep- representation. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so it wasn't a flaw for me subject wise. I just enjoyed the the comedic aspects of everything and mm-hmm. and also how, you know, close to how accurate it was in terms of. The possibilities. I know, again, it was played for laughs, you know, and really overdone, but I think it works in this context. And there's definitely, there's nothing more overdone than thermonuclear war. (laughs) (laughs) Annihilating the planet is about as over the top as you can get. Yeah, definitely. What are we doing next week? Uh, Next week, we are going to talk about communism in Nepal. Ooh, oh yeah, I forgot. You texted me that we were changing the plan. So that yeah. was a fun surprise for me just now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I got... Uh, this is because of Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia <laughs> Most said, things in our show are because of Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the other day I was... I just go to the Wikipedia main page. This is me. You may have, you know, your, your For You page on, on TikTok is your main thing. Mine's <laughs> the main page of Wikipedia. That's the of kind course. of person I am. Uh, and on their today thing, you know, they'll be like, oh, it's, you know, uh, Romanian Independence Day or whatever. And it was something I had not, I don't recognize now, but it was some day in Nepal that was celebrating mm, the birthday of a king or someone who had found, I got down in this rabbit hole of, of Nepalese history <laughs> and ended up re- reading about the Nepalese civil war and all the communist parties they have there and it's just it's a bunch we're gonna get into it it's uh, i haven't really decided the scope specifically if i want to focus on like the communist parties or a broad timeline or what but we'll get it okay great uh i'm excited i think we had a listener for request for this way back when so that is awesome cool yeah i wish i would have learned about it sooner it's a ton so (laughs) (laughs) okay well i am looking forward to it all right let's uh reconvene then All right. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should... You can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. 
Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.